Is the Bermuda Triangle really as creepy as they say it is? You're listening to Eddie V's Horror Show. Hey everybody, welcome back to Eddie V's Horror Show. I'm Edward Villanova, author, YouTuber, and the host of this damn fine podcast. This is episode number 41. I know I've been pretty slacking on letting uh, letting you know what episode number you're listening to, but this is in fact episode number 41, which is kind of surreal in a way, because there's now more episodes in season three, almost, than there are in seasons one and two combined. So, uh Obviously, we have sort of revamped the way that we do things. Uh, we put things out on a, a much stricter schedule every every Monday, unless something goes wrong. But so far, I, I think we've done pretty good about, uh, since we've made the new world, everything, the uh, new episodes always come out on Monday. New episodes have been coming out on Monday, every Monday. So, yeah, we're going to try and keep try and keep that trend going. So, today... I'm doing it alone again, and uh, it's, again, it's a shame that Violet can't be with me uh, here for these because I really think that she would enjoy picking apart some of these enduring mysteries that aren't really mysteries, that have just sort of been perpetuated into uh, into infinity. And today is uh, another such episode where we are going to be, last week we talked about the Lost Colony of Roanoke, and we talked about how um, if you go back and you look at the, the logs of John White and Sir Walter Raleigh, that there's not really much of a mystery to Roanoke at all. Um, it was pretty confirmed, even back then, that they had gone to live with the Croatan tribe, and that is what the word Croatoan uh, actually probably meant it was a misspelling of the Native American uh, tribal name Croatan. If the historical evidence wasn't enough, there is modern genetic evidence to back that up as well. But today, we are talking about another enduring mystery that, uh, as you learn a little bit more about it and you really look at the, the cases outlined, you see that there's not really much of a mystery here at all. And that is the very mysterious Bermuda Triangle. But before we get into all that, it wouldn't be a proper episode unless I let you know what I'm drinking. And um, I've been giving the, the hard liquor a rest for a little while. Really. Um, for the last two episodes, I've been drinking wine. Uh, I had Peter Vela Vineyard's Burgundy here last time. And um, I, I do like other types of wine also, but uh, today I have another, another uh, Burgundy, another very, very classy Burgundy. This one's not a box wine, but this uh, does come in the gigantic jug persuasion. That is the Carlo Rossi Burgundy, and you've probably seen this bottle of wine somewhere, uh, maybe at a grocery store. This is a grocery store. Um, and it comes in like the most ridiculous glass milk jug that I've ever seen. Uh, I don't, how much even is in this? Four liters. 
So this is a little bit more than a gallon of wine. <laughs> uh, yeah, like a gallon is like three and a half, a little more than three and a half liters, 3.7 or something like that. So yeah, four liters of wine. This is a lot of wine. So this should, this should probably get me through the night, I think. Um, and uh, I've had this before, but uh, let's see. It's good. It has um, it has more of a like a cherry flavor to it than the um, the Peter Vella Vineyards Burgundy. Maybe kind of like a vanilla type flavor. It's really good. Um, I I prefer this to Peter Vella Carlo Rossi. Good stuff. I grew up with this wine being in the house all the time. <laughs> this was probably my first underage drink. I'm pretty sure. And um, yeah, for for super, it's like ten bucks for more than a gallon of wine, and you would think it's disgusting, but I mean, I'm okay. I mean, if you are a, if you're a wine snob, I'm sure this is bilge water, but um, to me, this is pretty good. You know, uh, it also probably kind of it being a wine that I was kind of raised on, I. I have some nostalgia for it, I guess. But uh, even so, like uh, trying to look at it subjectively, it's not a bad wine, especially for what it is. You know, it's not. <laughs> I think I made this comparison last time with Peter Willow Vineyards, but it's not Mogan David, which is like the Mad Dog 2020 of wine. So, <laughs> anyway, it's good stuff. It really is. Um, I enjoy it. If you like cheap wine, like I apparently do. Um, get yourself a big old glass milk jug of Carlo Rossi. Because it is good. The Burgundy's good. I've had the uh, the Cabernet Sauvignon before. It's pretty good. I haven't tried one so far that I didn't like. So, yeah. Go out to your, your nearest uh, Kroger or <laughs> whatever grocery store that sells beer and wine is near you. And uh, get yourself a big old jug of Carlo Rossi. It's good stuff. All right. So let's get into this whole uh, Bermuda Triangle thing, shall we? So everybody in the U.S. knows about the Bermuda Triangle. This is, this is a place in the Caribbean that all this crazy, unexplained stuff is supposed to happen. And boats and planes go missing there all the time. And it's basically this big, scary section of water that you should just never, ever go into unless you want to die. Or maybe get spirited away to an alternate dimension or sucked into a black hole or abducted by aliens or just cease to exist or be sent either forward or backward through time. Or any other number of crazy off-the-wall ideas about what, ha what happens to stuff that disappears in the Bermuda Triangle. So as a boy, I remember being absolutely fascinated and terrified of the Bermuda Triangle. And I remember watching a documentary about it when I was probably, I'm going to say like seven or eight years old. And um, it, was, it was on PBS. I want to say... I want to say it was Nova, which is usually really facts-based. It couldn't have been Nova. Ah, now that I think about it, it couldn't have been Nova. But it was it was the same sort of format. 
Um, and I don't know if this is one of those, those cases of it being a mockumentary that people took too seriously that was like sandwiched in with, with a bunch of Nova episodes or something that I know a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things like that happen, like the, the ancient aliens, uh, documentaries and the, the, the mermaids or Atlantis or whatever it was, uh, that convinced everybody that there actually are mermaids out there. Um, and it was all, it was all made up, but it was presented in such a way and presented along with legitimate documentaries that people kind of went, holy shit, there are mermaids. <laughs> but it was a, it was a mockumentary, just a very convincing mockumentary, I guess. I never actually saw that one, but I did see the one about the Bermuda Triangle. And, uh, so if you saw that, it was, well, at least to my seven to eight year old self, it was very convincing. And they talked about all sorts of stuff that happened, like seeing black spiraling lines in the sky and uh, this plane that um, the, the, the tower spotted. And this, this was an actual thing that happened. They were spotted by the tower and then the flight disappeared. Nobody... It was spotted and then it never landed. Uh, but they added things to it, like the plane was spotted again 30 years later or something like that. And that it, that didn't happen. But we'll get into all that. So there was the Bermuda Triangle mockumentary, I guess is what it was. And uh, you know, if there are any other 90s kids out there, you might remember an episode of the very strange but beloved cartoon Tailspin, where characters from the Jungle Book were placed in like a 1930s pre-jet aviation diesel punk universe for some weird ass reason. But they had an episode about flying through the Bermuda Triangle, and it wasn't, I mean, they called it something else. It was like uh, the Bermuda Triangle. Or, oh, no, it was, what was it? The, the Bermuda trapezoid or something like that and some punny thing with bear the word bear in it and uh but yeah like they talk about how no pilot ever returns from flying through there um ducktales also had an episode on the bermuda triangle and then uh okay outside of kid shows there was also an episode of quantum leap that also had a Bermuda Triangle episode. So, I, I don't know, I kind of feel like my generation was targeted for some reason to carry on the Bermuda Triangle lore. And I remember getting the idea that if you travel through the Bermuda Triangle, you're fucking toast. Like, you will disappear, and no one will ever know what happened to you. But, I mean, it's sort of like quicksand. Um, I was led to believe as a child that it was going to be a much bigger threat to my existence than it actually was. I always thought that there were just hundreds, if not thousands, of cases of disappearing aircraft and ships in the Bermuda Triangle. But if you look at every single record of a strange occurrence in the Triangle, not even every wreck or every disappearance, but every instance of something strange happening... There are only 34 instances. And mind you, records go back to motherfucking 1492. That's right. 
The first strange occurrence in the Bermuda, in the Bermuda Triangle was witnessed by Christopher Columbus and the crew of the Santa Maria. They claimed to have seen strange lights in the evening sky that couldn't be explained. So 34 cases over 500 fucking years. <laughs> I mean, that's minuscule. Especially considering the fact that since Columbus landed in the New World, the Bermuda Triangle has been right in the path of several major trade routes and shipping lines. And today, it's even a, a major flight path. It's, it's in a major flight path. Hundreds of ships and planes travel through the Bermuda Triangle every day. If you've ever been on a Caribbean cruise, there's a pretty damn good chance you've been through the Triangle. I know I have. I, I didn't even think about it at the time. But yeah, I was on a cruise. We went right through the Bermuda Triangle. Not a second thought about it. No misgivings whatsoever. Um, so yeah, if you've been on a Caribbean cruise, you've almost certainly been through the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, now, come to think of it, my flip-flops did go missing on that cruise. So, I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. So, and, and, you know, people even live in the Bermuda Triangle. So, if nothing happens to you when you're even living there, you know, there's not like a whole lot of strange things that happen to people who live inside the Bermuda Triangle. So, if you look at each of these cases of weird things happening in the Triangle, which is pretty easy, you can Google it and find every confirmed case, and then realize that it's not the Bermuda Triangle that's dangerous. It's just the whole ocean is shady as fuck. I'm not going to run through every single instance, um, but instead I'm going to tell you that the majority of these incidents go like this. Boat slash plane left here at this time on this day, never landed and or made port. And that's not by any means unique. Shit just doesn't show up sometimes. Planes go down in blackout zones like Malaysia Flight 370. Rogue waves are a thing and they can sink an unprepared ship before it has time to radio for help. Shit just happens at sea. Also, in these strange incidents, um, Things like a small electrical malfunction causing the crew of a flight to turn around soon after takeoff are included. So it's not even like, oh, well, there's all these strange phenomena, we better turn back. Um, no, it's just like, um, I got a weird blinking light on the, on the warp motivator or whatever the fuck on, you know, on the control panel, panel on the airplane. Uh, we better go back and make sure everything's okay. That's counted as a strange occurrence. So, now there are a few truly unexplained things that have happened in the Triangle, to be sure. Probably the most famous uh, disappearance there was the case of Flight 19. A squadron of U.S. Navy bombers took off from Fort Lauderdale on a training exercise and flew the, through the Triangle on December, uh, in December of 1945, but they never returned to base. A ship that was sent out to look for them the same day also disappeared, and no sign of either Flight 19 nor the search and rescue vehicle ever turned up. The only witness to what may have happened was the crew of a tanker that was off the southern coast of Florida at the time. The crew reported seeing an explosion low on the horizon, and soon after, a widespread oil slick on the surface of the water. So whatever happened that day will likely never be fully understood unless... 
wreckage of either Flight 19 or the search and rescue vehicle ever turn up. But, uh, so, so another instance, though, is in November of 1978, Eastern Caribbean Airways Flight 9, uh, 912 disappeared during its approach to St. Thomas from St. Croix after it had been spotted by the control tower. So that's the one I was kind of talking about a minute ago. So uh, the people in the tower got visual confirmation of the plane's approach. They actually saw it in the sky, and then it just vanished. And no wreckage ever turned up. They didn't, to my understanding, they didn't, like, watch it vanish from sight. But they, you know, the somebody in the control tower looked out the window and went, oh, there it is. It's coming in right now. Continued talking to them over radio, not looking out the window anymore. And then communication stopped. They went, well, okay, well, where'd they go? Looked out the window, didn't see them again. And then they just never turned up. Um, did something suddenly go wrong and they took a weird-ass nosedive straight into the sea? I, I don't know. Um, so that is that is weird. That's a very weird thing to to have happen. But those two instances of all the disappearances that actually took place inside the most accepted perimeter of the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, more on that in a minute, those two are the most mysterious. Most of the others are planes or ships that just never made it to their destinations. Now, lots of these incidents actually happen during hurricanes or with uh, notably inexperienced crew, like the two 14-year-old boys who took a 19-foot boat on a fishing trip in the Bahamas alone and uh, never came back. They were two 14-year-old boys alone on a fishing trip in the Bahamas. Sometimes ships turn up without anyone on board, which sounds more mysterious than it really is, especially when there weren't many people on board in the first place. The Mary Celeste is probably the most notable incident of a ship found adrift with its entire crew missing, uh, but that was back in the mid-1800s, and, you know, piracy was still a thing back then, and even with this being a bigger ship, there were only ten people originally on board anyway. There's also a theory that uh, because one of the ship's water pumps was broken, which was verified by the salvage team when the ship finally turned up, the captain may have made a hasty order to abandon ship out of fear that the ship was sinking. The ship's uh, only lifeboat, after all, was missing. But remember how I said there were 34 incidents within the most commonly recognized boundaries of the Bermuda Triangle? So the, the case of the Mary Celeste is actually one of the reasons why I said that. Ask anybody who claims to know anything about the Bermuda Triangle or failing that Ask Google where the boundaries of the Bermuda Triangle are, and you'll be given a general area with Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico serving as the three corners of the triangle. So the Mary Celeste sailed out of New York, bound for Santa Maria Island in the Azores, off the western coast of Portugal. Now that is nowhere near the generally accepted confines of the Bermuda Triangle. And yet... The disappearing crew of the Mary Celeste, as commonly noted, entails about the Triangle. Books and TV shows that claim hundreds or thousands of ships and planes have gone missing in the Bermuda Triangle are actually using some damn creative geometry in claiming most of these cases happen inside that little triangle. In fact, 
Some accounts set the northeasternmost corner of the, of the triangle on the fucking Irish coast. Oh, man. You don't want to sail through the Bermuda Triangle. Shit goes down there all the time. You might know it as the Atlantic. So, you can't avoid the whole fucking Atlantic Ocean. And there's too much trade that goes through there. So, why, why has this urban legend carried on so long and become such a prominent piece of American culture. And, mind you, this is chiefly an American thing. People from other countries haven't heard of the Bermuda Triangle. Even people from Bermuda have, by and large, not heard of the Bermuda Triangle. Or if they if they know about it, it's like, it's some weird urban myth that Americans talk about. It all started with a conspiracy rag that got referenced and not fact-checked. And then the works that cited the original conspiracy rag were then cited in further works, and so on and so forth, with disreputable publications playing off the works of other disreputable publications for decades, and each one adding a little more to the story than the last. Like a weird-ass supermarket tabloid game of telephone. So, it started with an article published in the Miami Herald on September 17, 1950, by columnist... Edward Van Winkle Jones. What a motherfucker of a name is that? So that was the first time the term Bermuda Triangle was used. Two years later, another columnist named George Sand published a second article in Fate magazine, well known as a pulpy, paranormal, and conspiracy theory publication, that played off of the Miami Herald article called Mystery at Our Back Door, or Sea Mystery at Our Back Door. It covered the disappearance of Flight 19 and a few other incidents. Sand was the one who layered out the triangular area where the incidents took place, and he was also the first to suggest a supernatural element to the Flight 19 incident. Next, American Legion magazine published an article by Alan W. Eckert in its April 1962 issue. Eckert fabricated a detail that the flight leader of Flight 19 had been heard saying, We are entering white water. Nothing seems right. We don't know where we are. The water is green. No white. But no such transmission was ever received by the flight control tower. Eckert also wrote that uh, officials at the Navy Board of Inquiry stated that the planes, quote-unquote, flew off to Mars. In February 1964, Vincent Gaddis wrote an article called The Deadly Bermuda Triangle in the pulp sci-fi rag Argosy. Gaddis claimed that Flight 19 and other disappearances were part of a pattern of strange events in the region. The next year, Gaddis published the book Invisible Horizons, which was an expanse on his original article. Other writers elaborated on Gaddis's ideas, such as John Wallace Spencer, who wrote Limbo of the Lost in 1969, Richard Weiner, who wrote The Devil's Triangle in 1974, uh, among others who also added to the stories and included more and more incidents using that same creative geometry we talked about. But there were none more notorious than Charles Berlitz, who made wild, unsubstantiated additions to the stories completely fabricated others, and sensationalized the growing urban legend in his 1974 book, The Bermuda Triangle, which has been 
the Bermuda Triangle Conspiracy Theory Bible since its publication. It is the most commonly cited source in any work about the Bermuda Triangle, especially having to do with conspiracy theories or the paranormal or the occult or aliens or a government cover-up or any, you know, you name it. Um, people are referencing that book constantly. So... <clears throat> You may have heard stories about pilots radioing the tower and claiming to see swirling black lines in the sky, like what I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this episode. Or people with green skin on the ground or waving to them, or waving them in, or lights or other mysterious objects in the sky. Or even uh, a particularly inventive story of a Navy pilot who looked out his window uh, and saw his base, as it would appear, a decade later, as opposed to how he knew it. So it was like he was looking into the future. Like He said that he saw people wearing um, blue jumpsuits, uh, and that the buildings were painted yellow, and at the time, everything was painted gray, as he knew it. And so he, he was saying he didn't know where he was, but then ten years later they changed the jumpsuit color to blue and they painted all the buildings yellow. So, but all of those stories are pretty much unsubstantiated and or fabricated. Now, I couldn't run down every last one, but they're, they're largely stories that were either elaborated on from uh, Berlitz's book or, uh, or possibly from a subsequent work that did. Now, in 1975, investigative journalist Larry Cushy, I'm sorry, I think that's how you say his name, Cushy, K-U-S-C-H-E, investigated the claims of Gaddis, Berlitz, and other writers who followed suit, claiming they were mostly either exaggerated horseshit or fabricated horseshit, but horseshit one way or another. Choose your own flavor of horseshit. Horseshit it still is. His research pointed out tons of inaccuracies and inconsistencies between Berlitz's accounts and statements from news media and witnesses who were actually there. He also noted that many of the cases written about didn't even happen in the Bermuda Triangle, such as the Mary Celeste. And in fact, sometimes the actual event was not only not as mysterious as made out to be, but they happened in a completely different ocean. The Bermuda Triangle is in the Atlantic, and many cases attributed to it actually happen in the Pacific. So, here are Cushy's findings in a nutshell. <laughs> Probably saying his name wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. Cushy. That's what I'm going to say. Larry Cushy. Anyway, so, here are his findings. Basically, summed up. The number of ships and aircraft that disappear in the Triangle are not proportionally greater than anywhere else in the ocean. So, for the amount of water that uh, is being covered, the amount of space that the Bermuda Triangle covers, and the amount of traffic that comes through, both boats and planes, there's not a disproportionately greater uh, amount of disappearances or strange events that happen there than anywhere else in the ocean where planes and boats commonly travel through. Second, uh, the area is in a region known as Hurricane Alley, and many disappearances happened during a, a, during a hurricane or a tropical storm, which were details often conveniently left out by the author. So, 
<laughs> you know, they talk about, oh, the ship left port. Uh, it was the late 1800s. It just never showed up. Nobody knows what happened to it. Um, a giant hurricane came through. But other than that, you know, nothing else weird was going on then. I'm sure the giant hurricane couldn't possibly be what actually sank this boat or it couldn't be the reason why it didn't show up. Let's not pad it with unnecessary information. You know, the hurricane, you know, whatever. It's a trifling thing. Uh, thirdly, um, <laughs> Kushi found that in many of the stories of ships that didn't make it to port when they were expected to, Berlitz failed to mention that they did eventually make port later than expected with mundane reasons such as bad weather or engine trouble. So <laughs> he talks about how oh, this plane was due to land at uh, 4.45 on January 8th, and it didn't. No one knows why it didn't. Well, actually, I mean, it, it did show up. It just showed up at 5.02. So, I mean, that's, come on, that's like, that's creative journalism at its worst. Kushi also found that uh, some of it was just straight up horseshit. One plane crash supposedly happened in 1937 off Daytona Beach, Florida, and uh, uh, Berlin said that it was witnessed by hundreds of onlookers. But when Kushi went back to the archives from the local papers, um he didn't find any mention of such a catastrophic plane crash that was witnessed by hundreds of people. You would think that something that attention-grabbing would have made the papers, but, uh, yeah, apparently the papers back then in 1937, it was, a, it was a really busy news day, and they just couldn't get around to that giant catastrophic uh, plane crash that everybody saw. So, Cushy's final ruling on the legend of the Bermuda Triangle is as follows. The legend of the Bermuda Triangle is a manufactured mystery perpetuated by writers who either purposely or unknowingly made use of misconceptions, faulty reasoning, and sensationalism. End quote. So, the Bermuda Triangle is, and has been for hundreds of years, a major thoroughfare for international commerce if shit disappeared there all the time. Whether it was understood or not, companies would direct their shipments to give that area a wide berth, if for no other reason than to protect their investments. The ships and planes ain't cheap, and even super-rich companies don't like uh, to risk losing them, because whether they believe in something supernatural going on or not, it all comes down to logistics. Companies don't have to pay higher insurance rates if ships, if, if they ship things through the Bermuda Triangle, for example. And I hear the contrary argued quite often when talking about the Bermuda Triangle. That oh, the you know shipping companies they're not going to take in, into account something they don't even believe in. They think that the Bermuda Triangle is you know oh, this, that's some paranormal thing that nobody you know they're. If, it's, if, if stuff is actually going on, if they're actually losing ships and planes and cargo, and you know, then this is going to be hurting them, and it's going to be hurting their clients, and they're not going to get any more clients if their clients know they're shipping through this place that shit just goes missing out there. So they wouldn't continue to ship through the Bermuda Triangle. 
but here we are. We still do it. We do it every day. It's a very, very popular uh, shipping lane. It's a very, very well-traveled, well-used flight path. It is a very well-traveled piece of ocean. So, um, yeah, you would think that if there was really a lot going down, we wouldn't keep going through there. <laughs> now, I mean, if the Bermuda Triangle really is the entire Atlantic Ocean, if it's as big as... Um, uh, with the, the one corner of the triangle going all the way to the Irish coast, then, you know, there's there's no way around it. But um, generally speaking, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just that, that little area. I mean, it's, it's still a fairly big area, but certainly small by comparison with the whole Atlantic Ocean. Uh, that triangle between uh, Miami, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. So, anyway, as a final note, in 2013, the World Wide Fund for Nature published an article on the top 10 most dangerous waters for shipping in the world, and the Bermuda Triangle was never even mentioned. So, such things do exist. Um, there are waters that uh, shipping companies will avoid. There are places that if you ship through this area you have to pay, pay higher insurance rates because uh, there's Somali pirates in the area or there's there's a lot of shallows that ships run around you know, and stuff like that. It doesn't matter if it is something that is understood or not. If, if shit goes missing there, we're going we're gonna to start avoiding it because we don't like our shit going missing. It just stands to reason. So that is it on my episode about the Bermuda Triangle. Again, I wish that Violet could be here because she would absolutely love talking about this. We might have to have a little recap uh, when Violet can join us again because uh, I feel like she would have so much to say about these things. Um, she is not... Um, she has little tolerance for things that are... are uh, whimsical that have been played off as fact. Uh, if you've listened to this <laughs> this podcast for any amount of time, you've surely picked up on that as well. But uh, anyway, so that was that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I I'm really enjoying this, picking apart some of these more ridiculous and outlandish um, you know, mysteries that really aren't mysteries. And uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of them that I've been able to find. I have one more lined up. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I really like Violet to be here for this one. So I might do another one in the meantime uh, so that Violet can be here for, for the next one. But uh, yeah, we have, I have at least one more that I'd like to talk about. I won't spoil it yet, but it should be uh, a pretty interesting episode. Maybe not necessarily super creepy, but yeah, related to, related to something that it's, very widely regarded as a, a creepy thing and a, a local uh, a local legend a local piece of american folklore so all right folks uh i hope you enjoyed listening as much as i enjoyed uh yakking my ass off and uh i'll see you next time and as always stay creepy thanks for listening to read some of my stories, see my artwork, and find links to my videos and podcasts, visit my website at edwardvillanova.com. 
If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, a work of horror you'd like to hear reviewed, or to submit a true account or short horror story, send me a message at edwardvillanova.com contact or on the Eddie V's Horror Show Facebook page. To shop horror fan merch designed by yours truly, go to edwardvillanova.com and click on the shop link. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, please consider rating and reviewing my podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. The positive, high-star reviews really help me out. If you really like what you're hearing here, please consider giving to my Patreon. The range of benefits include everything from personalized content to free merch and so much more. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash edwardvillanova. Lastly, you can follow me on Twitter at edwardvillanova.